0: This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast.
1: There was the story of the week this week around here, as far as discussion points, as far as people arguing about things and being angry about things and poking fingers at people and pointing fingers at people and yelling and screaming and claiming lack of understanding and privilege—all the words. You know, we get into these fights in this city. We get any city, I guess, but we get into these fights about stuff because we believe in something and we believe that anyone who doesn't agree with us, quite frankly, is an idiot. If you don't share the same view as me, this happens way too often, let's be honest, in a lot of different things. We've seen this. We're not talking about LRT tonight, but you've seen this. We've all seen this with LRT. If you are an LRT supporter and there's someone who isn't, they're probably an idiot and vice versa. If you believe in the LRT, and you're not a supporter of the LRT, you probably think that other person is an idiot. It happens all the time. By the way, if you're calling in for the quiz question, hold the line. Luke will get to you as fast as he possibly can. But back to this. So the most discussed story this week, the thing that got everybody talking, was the discussion at City Council about our libraries. Our libraries. And it started... And I've read the transcript a number of times. It started with Donna Skelly, maybe in a slightly clumsy way, but not anything outrageous. It was a live question. She was asking a question, asking whether libraries, if there's anything they could do to make them more relevant, because it was coming up with the discussion of, should there be a reasonably large increase? And I say reasonably large, I'm talking in the tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars, tens of thousands, I believe in the in the budget but it's already it's a budget of 20 almost 30 million dollars and so the question was it, it, sh- should we be giving this raise should we be giving more money to the library or should we not Are, is the library fully relevant well I, I looked at this and i thought okay it's a question it's a it's a, it's a someone has asked a question i don't have a problem well this went bananas this went crazy everybody suddenly was saying that this was out of bounds shouldn't be asking this, shouldn't be suggesting any of this. Well, let me bring Donna Skelly in here because she has certainly been at the, uh, at the center of this. She's been the one wearing it. Uh, Counselor Skelly, thanks for doing this tonight.
2: Nice to talk to you.
1: You as well. You've, uh, you've been on council for roughly a year, give or take now. I'm wondering if the skin has thickened up yet and if the calluses are building up a little bit.
2: <laughs> thick, 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 thick. But, you know, I, I, it was a tough week. But I still believe we have to ask questions. I sat in on a meeting today that was more like a love fest than it was a, a budget meeting. And, and I understand our passion and our, our love of our libraries. But at what point do we look at money we're spending regardless of the department? without fear of being vilified simply because you ask a question.
1: Well, that's the part about this whole thing that I, I'll i be honest with you, and, and I don't make any bones about the fact that I'm, I am i think you were right to ask. Now, whether you asked it in the perfect way, that's thats a debate people can have, and you can probably tell me that you would maybe want to phrase it slightly differently if if you were going to ask it again, but we are a city that has no money. And so I'm looking at this saying, wait a second, we should be asking about every department, shouldn't we?
2: I thought we sh- I thought we should, and I still believe we should. But there is a small group, I'd say the minority of people who are very active on social media, who can uh, change the, the dialogue. And and I think a lot of my fellow counselors really weren't too keen on on going down the path that I started last week. I wasn't intending to offend or to. Uh, imply that libraries aren't important uh, parts of our community. I mean, and I certainly did not suggest that we defund libraries. In fact, that was misreported. A reporter, and and we all make mistakes, I was a reporter for years. It was not intentional. There was no malice. In fact, the person who wrote the story is a professional. He's very fair. He simply misquoted me. And uh, it wasn't until another reporter from his... um, Uh, another paper in town, asked me on Monday and said, did you say that? Because I was at that meeting and I didn't hear it. And I said no. And it was him who transcribed the actual conversation, notified his editors and then they pulled the stories and spoke to me about it. And they were quite concerned, I think, that they were going to be sued because I was given quite the apology and assurance that a retraction would be made, all of the information would be removed. But that was three days after the story ran and All of the, you know, the social media frenzy, and and when you suggest that you're about to defund a library, of course people would be upset. That's not what I said. I simply said, do we give it another $500,000? They have a a significant um, annual budget of in excess of $30 million. And so, in this year, when we are really strapped for cash, I thought it was my job to question every single department and department head that comes forward asking for more money. I let me say this. That isn't case.
1: Well, Donna, let me say this. First of all, every year we are strapped for cash. So I don't think it's necessarily a new thing that just happens this year. But here's the point. I, I Listen, there are people out there. I like the library. I use the library. I don't have an issue with the library, but I'm on the side of, with you on one point of this at least, and that is, I don't think we can afford in this city with a $3.5 billion infrastructure deficit with struggling to find cash, I don't think we can afford to have sacred cows where we say, oh, no, 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 that's that's an untouchable. Whatever they ask for, we must give them without asking any questions. I think that's crazy.
2: I do too, and I hope I hear from more people like you. And the funny thing is I actually have. A lot of people have commented via email, please continue to question every single person that comes forward asking for an increase because we can't afford it. And I don't think we can afford it. After the library presented uh, its budget, and we don't vote until probably March on the entire um, budget that has been put to us. We'll go through line by line and then decide whether we're going to approve this or approve that. So we didn't vote on it today. But afterwards, the police came forward and they were asking for a 2.66% increase. We're asking all of the departments to come in under 2%, so about one8 And I ask them, why can't you come under like everybody else? Because the next manager is going to come forward and and they will argue as passionately that nothing can be touched, that we need this much money. If we don't push back and say, find the savings, I, I just really fear it's going to be unsustainable. Most of the costs are wages and benefits. And coming from the private sector and now working in the public sector, I can tell you it is a really nice gig. I have a a salary that I know and a check that I know will cash at the end of the week. I have great benefits. I have paid time off. I have a lovely place to work. And I'm, I, I feel very, very privileged to be in this position. And, and I take issue with people who don't realize that the rest of the world doesn't live like us. And I think we have to really step back and think we're very lucky the two percent per year increases are not sustainable. They it isn't what we're seeing in the private sector. And we have to at least try to get these these increases under control.
1: Will the councillors and the mayor, do the people sitting around the table, do they get a two percent increase this year? Will you be getting yes. that much?
2: I asked I asked if we could I, I I really would like to see us look at that. And Yeah, we all get, apparently two years ago, this was voted, and all of the senior managers, all of the non-union staff and council gets what our union staff have been negotiating and awarded. So we all get a 2% increase. And I I was in the private sector for many years, and we would jump at the chance to get a 2% increase. I mean, for many years, a lot of companies are just saying we can't afford a, a raise this year, and that's just the reality. It's not nice. But it is the reality in a lot of um, private sector jobs.
1: Is that something, though, that if you are going to go down this road and you're going to say, listen, we've got to look at everything and the library and police and everyone else, that we should also look at what we are getting? And I'd be willing to argue to not have that raised this year to set the example?
2: It's already been awarded, it's in, it's, it's, it was done at the first term of council. I am going to ask again. And uh, I, I can assure you, you can call me again. And I, in fact, I'll let you know that the, um, the next time that we, I have an opportunity to actually bring this up, because we haven't, we've only started our budget deliberations, and so far we've dealt with the library agencies, the library, our escarpment agencies, and, um, and the police. Tomorrow it's transit, and we'll be moving through the weekend and going through other departments. So I will give you the heads up, and I will be bringing that up because I do think it's important to set an example. And I do worry that there isn't an appetite on council because of the backlash that I received last week, simply to ask a question. And believe me, it, it is, you have to have thick skin.
1: Well, let me ask you another question about this, because Andrew Dreschel wrote a piece that was in uh, a follow-up to this, which yes. basically suggested that if you are someone on council who holds conservative views you are going to be clubbed with a bigger club than if you were a quote quote progressive do you do you buy that do you think that's the case
2: absolutely
1: you think this you think you wore absolutely. this more than if it was Matthew Green or Aiden Johnson absolutely. or someone else
2: absolutely there is nothing I can say or do on council that won't be twisted and um, and challenged absolutely 100 percent I don't fit the I I ask questions I really seriously think that we can push back and that we have to challenge the status quo and people don't like that so were you then surprised
1: were you then surprised that this led to this that this question led to this or had you expected that asking this question might lead to a blowback
2: it was this this uh I was really surprised at the level, but don't forget, it it was prompted, the backlash was prompted initially by erroneous information. The story was simply wrong. The quote was that I wanted to defund libraries, and that's what triggered the backlash. And, of course, you get the comments, and then people don't want to admit that they had reacted without checking the facts. So it just, you know, it spurred this. It took on a a life of its own.
1: That said if you had a chance, and you're you're doing council live, I understand that, it's not scripted, but if you had a chance to rephrase the way you did, you asked this question... I
2: have rephrased it, I would be... And I'm very careful now, I'm very careful what I say, because, you know, this. Uh, I don't want to say it's a rookie mistake, but it probably is a rookie mistake. Uh, this is my first time going through the budget process, and it is a steep learning curve, believe me. But I don't want to shy away from asking, and it sounds like such a a line, asking the tough questions. but believe me, the backlash when you do is unbelievable. Having said that, the number of people who've reached out to me and said, don't stop, please.
1: Well, okay. So this clearly, whether you expected it or not, uh, turns out the library is a sacred cow. You cannot, mm-hmm. you, uh, for a lot of people, you can't touch the library, you can't do anything to the library. So But the budget is still going. What What's the next landmine? Where's the next one you're going to ask about that is also a sacred cow in the city? That you know what? If you're going to ask questions, if you're going to say maybe they should do better or tighten their belts, you're going to get pounded on again. What's the next one?
2: I think every single department. I really do. I think um, anything to do with social services will be uh, a no-no. It's off the table. We're not going to be able to ask anything about our um housing uh anything to do with Hamilton housing and and i've already you know had a, a an auditor come in and our auditor and and look at an issue with the parking lot at a at a, a housing complex for seniors in my ward um we were adding a couple of extra not a couple 12 extra parking spaces and changing the entranceway Initially, it was supposed to be about a $300,000 project. By the time I was elected and was handed the next um, uh, the cost analysis, it was $1.1 million. And, you know, we'd already spent something like $60,000 untendered, given to an engineer to come up with a design for a parking lot. This is money already spent. We've already spent in excess of 100000 just for a design of a parking lot. So the next, there will be a lot of uh, landmines that will be, stepping on through the process and a lot of sacred cows.
1: And do you think that what's happened to you honestly I mean cuz you've obviously warned this but do you think other counselors around the table have seen this maybe standing back at a safe distance so the shrapnel doesn't hit them and said, "Yeah, you know what? I'm not jumping into one of these discussions. I'm not asking the question cuz I don't want to wear that." Do you think I mean Absolutely. it does it have a chilling effect on the questions at budget? It
2: has. It has. It already has.
1: Will you ask more, or, or on? I mean, honestly, will you ask another question like this, or will you give it a second thought before you do it?
2: I am really guarded now and will be much more thoughtful. My mistake, uh, and much more concise in terms of what I'm going to be asking. Um, but I'm sometimes, you know, I'm, I was on television for many years and and was criticized from everything from my hair color to my earrings so you do have uh you develop i get the the same
1: thing donna by the way just (laughs) so you know
2: i love your hair it looks much better today (laughs) that
1: skin tone actually but it's uh, it's 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 hard to get that
2: kind of tone it's
1: hard to get that one at the drugstore but
2: yes
1: (laughs) um but But it it would seem to me that it would have caused a chill pardon me it seems to me that it probably would have caused a chill
2: yeah but then, after a few days, I realized that you know you you lick your wounds and you check your bruised ego and you realize, why am I here? if I didn't want to do this? this is I have an opportunity. I just have to make sure that i'm I'm being fair and recognizing that there are certain departments and and certain programs that people in the city don't care how much it costs they want them, and they have a right to voice their opinion. I must say that I did get a few letters after this blew over a bit from people who were very, very supportive of the library and the 1.8% increase. But they articulated their concerns in a very professional, thoughtful way. And to me, that's what we need to do. We need to have a dialogue. We we shouldn't be attacking.
1: Well, we're very but. shrill. We are. We're, we're very shrill. And And we just have a minute left here. But my question then becomes this. If we have these sacred cows, especially social networks, social services, things that we apparently, not only can we not touch the budget, not only must we give whatever raise or increase that they want or else you are not compassionate or you're not whatever else, but we also can't even ask questions about them. How in the world do we actually cut the budget down or is it just then the, some other it's things? Rubber stamping, but, but that's what it sounds, but how do you then get a budget?
2: Well, you say, please come in at this, and they'll come in at close to it. If we had said 0%, they might have come back with 1%. But, um, you know, we'll have we'll have our department heads come forward, and if, if Council doesn't have the courage to challenge, it will just be a rubber-stamping process and a bit of a kumbaya as well because why would you want to take on that kind of scrutiny?
1: It's a good question. Uh, Councillor Donna Skelly, appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Uh, you know what? Listen, I, again, this is to me, this is not a library thing. It is a library thing. And, and when I look through the transcript of what Donna Skelly said, there were parts of it, as she acknowledges, that were clumsy. But at no point, as I read it, did she say I want to defund libraries. It was a confusion. But here's the problem I have, and this is what I'm going to be watching for with the budget deliberations the rest of the way. Are there any councillors? Who at this point now, after what just happened, where a councillor got tarred and feathered essentially for asking a question, whether it was clumsy or not, for, for daring to ask apparently about one of the sacred cows, are there going to be other councillors who are willing to take on some of these other sacred cows and ask the questions? Because I think a bunch of them are going to be skittish now. Even Donna just said that she's now going to be thinking twice about it. It's a pro- It is a problem in this city. We should not have... Any sacred cows. I'm not saying, let's be clear, I'm not saying that we should be wantonly, randomly, just crazily cutting everything, because the libraries, as we found out today, our libraries actually, when they came back with the stats, are the best used libraries in Ontario. So that's great information to have. That's great news. Is it a problem that we had a question that led to that discovery of that information? No. No. A question led us to understand that. We now understand the libraries better. I think it was a good thing that a question was asked about the library, a hard question. Hard questions should be asked about every single agency, department, and person who is being paid by the tax dollar. It should. That doesn't mean we're going to cut them. It doesn't mean we're going to fire them. But I think that in a city that is really, really, really short on money, It's the right thing to be asking hard questions. And then, you know what? Look what the library did out of this. The library came forward and said, here are the facts to support what we want. We now have, we can show you that we are the best used library in Ontario. That to me bolsters their case and you say, fine, that being the case, we support the benefit and they got the raise that they wanted. They got the increase they wanted. We look at the facts. We look at what you've come forward with. And as a result, we said, good, you have defended your budget request. You have defended what you've asked for. Therefore, we're going to give it to you. I think every department should have to do that. And if you can't defend what you're coming forward with, if it's just, well, we need this because, and there's not, then you don't get it because we don't have the money. Isn't it on Counselor Skelly to know these things before she talks about it, though? I know I know you're using
3: this to make a point, a good point, about the fact that nothing should be sacred. But when she says that, uh, where is it? That it, from the Spectator article, that circulation and physical visits were down. Circulation is down by 1.7%. Physical visits are up. In the past year, and the library continues to cut staff, which no other department does. Now you're saying that her asking the question brought this forward. Isn't it on her if she's even if she's asked that question, just spur the moment to go? I need to do some research, and then I'll get back to you. Not to just say, well, circulation
1: and visits are down, so we got to cut them. See, I just, I don't. She never said. First of all, I want to be clear because uh, to not to defend her, but to be accurate with her, she never said we must cut. She asked a hard question, and I'm in favor of that, and here's the thing. A hard when you, question
3: with no facts to back it
1: up. But when you've got every single department coming in front of you, as a counselor, do you have time to investigate every department? That's why you have these meetings to say, what, just defend yourself. Defend your request. And I would say that if it was here in the private sector, Luke, you go to the boss and you say, I want a raise, does he just say, you know what, Luke? Yeah, sure, you get a raise. Or does he say tell me why you deserve a raise. That's what happens everywhere. That's what happens everywhere but and there's no reason why you can and if and if your boss said, "But Luke, I thought you were working fewer hours. I thought I saw that." And you say, "No, in fact, I'm not. I'm working more hours and I'm doing more in that time." He says, "Oh, okay then. You there is nothing Nothing, we've got to go to a break, there is nothing wrong with asking departments when public money is being spent, when it's your tax dollars and my tax dollars, there is nothing wrong with asking them to defend their budgets and make your decisions based on those defenses. And if they can't defend it, there's an area you cut. The library did a terrific job, and good for them, the library did a terrific job of defending the request it was making and as a result, it got the raise that it wanted. But to absolutely have an avalanche come down on someone for asking a question, even if it was a clumsy ask, even if it was a clumsy question, the rea- the, the point is I would rather have every city councilor asking questions about every department, not the library, every department, than have them all sit around and just go, oh, but that's really important, Ka-ching, rubber stamp. I want the questions asked, and if it and if the questions can be defended, give them the raise. If the questions can't be, cut it. And Period. I would rather that our city councilors asked informed questions instead of just spouting their
3: mouth off about something and getting into hot water like this.
1: I disagree with you. I think that it's impossible to know every piece of information no, but without with the, ahead of time, without having those departments provide it first of all, and being having the time to do it. The point is. Regardless, regardless of how this is, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging, and she did too, that the question may have been asked in a clumsier fashion than she would have liked. She would have liked to have redone it. She said that specifically. I would have asked it differently if I could have done it again, but I would much rather have our counselors be hard on the money be difficult to pry money from than just to be saying, well, this is important. This is really a lot of people like this. This is what we love. This is a sacred cow. Therefore, let's give them more money. Give them the money if they deserve it. Don't give it to them if they don't. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9
2: on AM 900 CHML.
1: This is, shockingly, when I heard this this week, I was absolutely floored that Vince Carter has turned 40, 40, because I remember... When he was winning slam dunk contests and he was like a rookie. He was a young guy. He was just in the league. I don't know how that much time has gone by. Uh, clearly, if Vince Carter is 40, my age is going up faster and faster too. It's, it's, it seems to be just unbelievable because he is really, in a lot of ways, a lot of guys would say the person who really turned around Canadian basketball, who ignited basketball in this country. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH joins me. Sir, how are you this evening?
0: Not bad there, Scott. I mean, you're right. I mean, I I thought about that when I watched the Raptors game, too, and and Vince was pulling some spinorama magic, which was uh, reminiscent of stuff that we saw back in the day, and and, and I thought, my goodness. I mean, he's 39. I I, I checked to see, how old is he? He's like, oh, he's 39. Wait, now he turns 40 tomorrow.
2: Yeah, he
1: turned 49 mid-dunk. It, 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 he turned 40 ha- while he was in the air still. But it's, it is remarkable, though. A, a lot of people will say it. You talk to Andrew Wiggins. You talk to uh, a bunch of the other, Antonio, uh, uh, what's his name, um, uh, who's now out of the league. But a bunch of these guys, they will all tell you it was Vince Carter. Steve Nash was certainly impactful, but it was Vince Carter that really got basketball up to a new level in this country.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about that, and I think any of those kids will tell you that. Whether, whether it be Tristan Thompson, whether it be Corey Joseph, and I know your your uh, Anthony Bennett. As Thank you. Like, yes,
1: I was drawing a blank. Looking, yeah, like, the
0: first overall draft pick. I mean, that, as he said, he's probably gonna, he's actually, uh, I believe, signing a contract, in Turkey
1: is where he's been. Of course, he like is. That. Yeah. So, <laughs> so but maybe, you know,
0: and you know, sometimes some of these guys mature late, and I mean, there's some skill there, and who knows what's what's going on with him, and four teams in four years, and and now he's in Europe. But we'll see what happens to him. Um, But you're right. All these guys were electrified by what vince carter did and i think yeah you're right steve nash added a little bit of flavor to that but i don't think there was the closeness because steve played in phoenix and played in dallas in that time you got to see vince carter every single night here as basketball started to get a little bit more popular in this country and as i've always said to i think the changing demographics of our country especially in in an inner city like toronto uh, where you're seeing more people from United States, more people from the Caribbean, more people from Africa, more Chinese, Oriental, I mean, you could go on and on. And they're not, they didn't grow up with hockey on their brains. Uh, they're more soccer and basketball. That's what they, you know, grew up watching.
1: Well, there's two other things involved in this. And the first one is, and you're right, I, I agree with you. The The first thing is Steve Nash, I would argue Steve Nash was a better player than Vince Carter, but Steve Nash was a very methodical, not methodical, but Vince Carter was flashy. Vince Carter, you tuned in every night to see the highlights, and if I was a kid, I remember when I was playing basketball in high school, I didn't necessarily love Larry Bird. In fact, I hated Larry Bird. I was not a fan of the Celtics. I was a Magic Johnson guy because Magic Johnson did stuff that was just amazing to watch. Larry Bird was just perfect. Larry Bird just had that perfect three-pointer. But that didn't thrill me. I was a kid. I wanted to see the razzle-dazzle. And Vince Carter did that. You watch Vince Carter, and he Absolutely. was a guy every night that was going to do something to you, and i got to try that when I get to the playground.
0: Absolutely. And and, and that's the thing. I mean, and the kids see that at a young age. And, and you're right. I think as opposed to other sports like hockey, there, there's a flash about uh, basketball and and I think when you talk to a lot of the kids right now but what do you like about basketball other than you know many other sports out there and I'll include baseball in there as well too with foot, with, with basketball it, it's more about not only the sport there's a look there's shirts there's fashion yep there a lot of these guys in terms of the stars of the sport are actually big I mean some of them are dating celebrities there's a status about basketball, especially in the nBA and they all get paid a lot of money as well too let's not let's not you know forget that as well too um, there's there's something about i 'm going to call it Hollywood more a little bit more Hollywood. Um, than, than, you know, other sports. So I think a lot of the kids are attracted to that. I think there's a music element to it as well, too, with a lot of the R&B and Mm hip-hop that kids are listening to right now as well. And uh, so I I think, think, I mean, mean, you had Vince Carter who, who put the Raptors, let's be honest, the Raptors were a lousy team.
1: Because, he was the one reason to watch.
0: There was a reason to watch, and then all of a sudden there was a Tracy McGrady, and then there's an Antonio Davis, and then all of a sudden the Raptors are are on on uh, they're going to the playoffs, and on top of that too, and you can attest to this because you're in the same age bracket as I. Not remember, not every single game was on TV back then, and all of a sudden the Raptors were on the Sunday and on the Sunday uh, game of the week uh, on NBC, and. That was big news, that the Raptors were actually nationally broadcast, not in this country, but also in the United States. And I think that is what attracted, I think, Vince, I mean, Vince Carter, and all of a sudden the Raptors were making big news
1: at that time. Bubba, ask, answer one other thing for me, because at the time that Vince Carter arrived in Canada and became a star, I was trying to think back and think if there were any others, but I don't think at that time, certainly not on the Leafs, the Argos are essentially irrelevant in this discussion, but also with the Blue Jays, I don't think there were any other African-American superstars in Toronto at that time, and maybe not in Canada. I mean, I'm trying to think if there was another superstar who would have been. So all those, you talk about those kids who maybe have come here from somewhere else or who uh, are in the inner cities or wherever else. And now they see someone, we hear about this with Tiger Woods all the time, that there were minority kids who took up golf because of Tiger Woods. I have to believe there may have been part of it there. You see someone that is like you, that's now huge. He's huge. And so I'm, I'm drawn to that as well.
0: Absolutely. And, 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 and unfortunately, I mean, you could name some stars in baseball, but for whatever reason, when you're talking to kids, baseball it seems as an old man sport. A lot of the kids just don't seem to. A lot of kids I know, I'm going to say inner city kids, don't really. They don't grow up wanting to be a baseball player. Let's just call a spade a spade, right? And basketball is a sport that falls into that category. And, yeah, you're right to see a young, you know, as you said, African-American, flashy, um, you know, putting his team on his shoulders. He said all the right things. He had that amazing smile, if you remember, too, that just everyone was seemingly so attracted to. And he signed two contracts in his time there staying with the Raptors so he appeared at the time that he was a guy that was going to be hanging out for a long time
1: where would in your mind where would Canadian basketball be today we've got to know we've now got an Olympic team or at least a national team that's competitive we've got a bunch of Canadians in the NBA would any or all of that have happened if he had not been drafted or he actually you know what he wasn't drafted by the Raptors he was traded to the Raptors on draft day but if he had not come here would any of that have happened without Vince Carter?
0: I think it would have happened, but just not as quickly, because because uh, of the reasons that we were talking about in terms of the changing demographics of a lot of the kids that are growing up nowadays. So I do believe, because I do believe basketball is on the brain for a lot of kids right now, and all you have to do, and you know this for a fact as well, too, go to the Burge Gymnasium, look at a university basketball game, go to uh, uh, Mohawk, watch a college basketball game, and compare it to just 10, 15, 20 years ago, the quality of ball is outstanding. So kids are attracted to the sport. They're playing the sport hard. Did it would it have happened as fast without Vince Carter? I, I don't believe so. But I do believe he was certainly a contributing factor.
1: Interesting, you mentioned Burge Jim because there's a guy who now works right beside Burge Jim at McMaster who was the author of all this. So That's you right? can you can actually say if you're going to make the case, and I and we both are, that Vince Carter was the accelerant to the growth of basketball in Canada. That it's Glenn Grunwald who made the trade to get him, who is ultimately responsible for a lot of the basketball we're seeing coming out of this country now.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, let's be honest, he put together some fabulous teams. And in those early days of the Raptors making the playoffs, which at the time, remember, the Lute, they were such a bad... I mean, it was great to go see a Raptor game for the first five, six years of the franchise because you wanted to go see... Michael Jordan. You wanted to see the Bulls. You wanted to see the Knicks or the Celtics. You went to see the other team because the Raptors were not a very good franchise. And other than the likes of maybe Damon Stoudemire, who was the first player ever drafted um, by the Raptors, there wasn't a lot of great players to see. Nor did players want to come here. But then when Vince was there and Glenn put it all together... It made Toronto a destination for some players to say, you know what? There's something good and something special going up and going on in Canada. And I think, other than the tax situation, uh, a lot of these players come to Toronto and say, and you talk to them now, they're like, I love this city.
1: Do you think? Glenn Grunwald is, anyone who's met Glenn, and he's now the athletic, we're talking about Glenn Grunwald. he's the athletics director at McMaster now, who was the general manager. He is a very quiet, and, and I'm not saying this to suck up, you'll back me on this, I'm sure. He is a very humble, very modest guy, uh, stays in the background, doesn't toot his own horn. Do you think, though, he gets the credit for his impact on Canadian basketball that he deserves?
0: Well, I mean...
1: Because <laughs> he's not, he's not going to lobby for it.
0: I think I think when people that know the club realize that yes that he was an important building block. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you think of the great general managers of the team, and you know, I know Isaiah Thomas was one there for in the the early going, but you know, Glenn was the guy. He was the brains, and he had a lot of help there. He had Wayne Embry as well too, was a guy that was around the, the franchise as well too that had a lot of credibility and brought credibility to the franchise. But, I mean, I mean, I, can't, I don't know how to answer that, really, because that's all within the minds of each individual. But I do believe that if you know the sport, you know the team, and you've been following the Raptors for some team, you know who Glenn Grunwald is and would definitely realize and know um, what he did to, 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 to improve the franchise. Let
1: me rephrase the be question.
0: Because, because you would certainly know who tore down the franchise and Rob yeah. Babcock.
1: <laughs> Let me rephrase the question. If you were to sit down with the average basketball fan, average Raptors fan now, they may be a diehard fan, but just an average guy off the street who's a big time Raptor fan. And you were over a beer going to say, tell me who really had the biggest impact or some of the people who had the biggest impact on growing basketball in this country. I guarantee you Vince Carter's name will come up. I guarantee you Steve Nash's name will come up. Do you think Glenn Grunwald's name would come up?
0: I think in I I don't know about I, I don't know about growing basketball but I think in growing the Raptors yes people would say Glenn Grunwald absolutely
1: Bubba O'Neal, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Enjoy. um, I don't know how long Vince is going to keep playing for. Is he? Is he? Is he given any indication? Like, are we going to be watching him for another five years? Or uh, because he can still, uh, he he can apparently still jump a little bit.
0: Uh, He can still jump. He can still play. And I mean, he got starters' minutes last night because the Memphis Grizzlies are all banged up and they're missing three of their starters. But uh, in a backup role, I think uh, Vince Carter can certainly still play. Mm. Can still throw to hit a three a, a three point shot and. And, and, you know, he's certainly not as explosive as he used to be.
1: But, but he can still who is? Uh, neither you nor I are explosive as we used well, to be either. For sure. Bubba, appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Always a pleasure, Scott. Thank you. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. You can watch him at 11 o'clock tonight. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9
2: on AM 900 CHML.
1: This weekend is something in here in Hamilton. This weekend is something called Delta Hawks 3, which sounds, I know like some special ops force of the military or maybe some new video game. Uh, no, not those things. Although the second one might be a little bit closer because what, it's, what it is is there are hundreds, something like 500, I think, but there are hundreds of university students who know their way around computers, know how to do coding, know, know how to program stuff, who will be gathering at Mac to basically, as I understand it, build apps to change the world. To make the world a better place. That's the goal anyway. Well, joining me to explain this because I'll be honest, this is not my world. Doing programming of computers is definitely not my world. I will tell you that. But Graham Crawley is one of the organizers of Delta Hawks 3. He joins me now. Graham, how are you tonight? Uh, Hey there. I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Listen, I am great. I'm looking at this though and I'm saying change the world. Come up with an app to change the world. That's a lofty goal.
3: Yeah, you know, um, you'd be surprised what students can do given the right amount of time and the right environment. We typically think the same thing going into the event every year, um, but the projects that come out are just amazing. Last year, someone built something that helped identify bone deterioration just from x-rays and computers, so
1: um, it's pretty cool. Th- that is cool. And I want to get to more of those in just a second. But just so we can start, because this has a funny name, and uh, and I say a funny name, it's not a ha-ha funny, but we just came out of an election in the States where we heard all about hacking. So when they hear about a hackathon or Delta Hacks, people are having this image, I think, some of them, of Julian Assange of WikiLeaks or Edward Snowden. That's not what you guys are doing. It's not that kind of hack. Y- explain what, in fact, it is that you guys are doing.
3: Yeah, so hacking in this sense is more about hacking something together. So the idea is that you have a short period of time and you have all these resources and all these minds that want to do something and you just hack together uh, a creation, a project, and you're trying to make something uh, tangible by the end of it that you can actually use in, in our case to help make change.
1: Okay. So walk me through this because again, uh, you're talking to someone who is technologically inept. All right. So let's start with that. So I am the, I am the, the moron that you are trying to talk to in human terms to explain this. I walk into hackathon or Delta hacks and I, what happens? What am I doing? What am I trying to do? How am I doing it? Walk me through the process.
3: All right. So we have a few sessions going on. We have some workshops from some different sponsors and professors that you can go and kind of learn some skills. We also have a A startup kind of workshop where if you've never done anything before you go in you can make a group they'll teach you how to do you you know your first hack or kind of put you on the right path for a problem that you want to solve and then we have above uh, like 25 mentors that come to the event just to make sure that throughout the whole time everybody's working and everybody can get things done without any trouble
1: and is it really starting from absolute zero and with coding and with writing and everything else, building an app like from start to finish over the course of 48 hours?
4: Yes, absolutely. So these students are actually going to be mostly coming together and some of them are going to be meeting each other for the first time and they will look at all the problems that we currently face today and then just try to see if it's possible for them to think of a way, a creative way, like, approach the problem and solve it by the end of the uh, hackathon. So that's why hackathons are really amazing and innovative because we're approaching all of these brand new ideas that no one else even thought to solve.
1: And when when you say apps, uh, we're talking about phone apps, right? Like smartphone things, Those is that the right idea, or am I thinking uh, of something else entirely?
4: It'll be totally from phone apps to just, like, people connecting motors to, like, different um, objects. Like, you see hackathons, so it could be silly things such as just a smart garbage can to smart toasters.
1: Oh, we lost Graham. Gra- uh, Luke. Can you give Graham a call back? Um, so, as I said a moment ago to Graham, and I'm gonna we're gonna keep going with this. I don't have a clue how to do this. This to me, this is the kind of thing that blows my mind. This is the kind of thing that is equivalent to if you've ever sat there and tried to imagine infinity. And your head gets spinning, and you really don't know what in the world is going. on. That's kind of how this is with me. The idea of sitting down in a room, getting my computer, and trying to build something like this is is absolutely mind blowing to me. But you, so it, these are these are things for your computer or for your phone or whatever else, Gray. We got you back that uh, that you could then apply to use to help solve some sort of problem.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. You can uh, like so. My, my friends and I uh, a, a few years ago we built a project that just took your hand mo- motions, and if uh, someone had a stroke, it could help them rehabilitate their hand because it would just mimic the motions from your hand. So that's like a, it, it was it was just a very solid problem that you could solve with technology.
1: And th- and it is. And yet I'm sitting there, and again I was just saying while we were getting you back on, I can't grasp this because this is not my field. How do you do that? in 48 hours. To me that's a project that you've got a team of 25 people spending five years working on in a lab. How do you do that in 48 hours?
4: So like with these large projects that you see in the end, it's mainly because a lot of the things are already completed and we're just taking it like puzzle pieces and just essentially duct taping it together using our different ways of coding and just ways of integrating these pieces of code all together and they all mesh really well because our students that come already have some knowledge and they could pick it up from the mentors that we have but from there they could move on to taking as many pieces and gluing them together to create a really polished application at the end.
1: But are they showing up at McMaster for this weekend with the idea already in their mind and with part of this project already done? Or do they, because this is a competition as well, do they have to come in literally at zero and start and finish within the 48 hours?
4: Usually it will be around 50 50. So some students definitely are very goal like uh, objective oriented and that they will already have an idea but a lot of the other students are really coming here just to participate and form teams that solve unique new problems so during our idea brain um, our brainstorming session we'll look at our mentors problems so these are problems that professionals um, will bring to the table and we'll also look at like things that are plaguing us in the news so such as drought such as poverty hunger in the world and we'll look at what we've already been able to do today and what problems still lie ahead of us. And then the students will be given all of these challenges and they'll take a look at how they could use technology to solve the grander scheme of things.
1: And there are these things going like You guys are doing this this weekend, but there are, if you want to call it hackathons or whatever, these things are going on all over the place all the time. I was looking, you guys are affiliated with a group called Major League Hacking. I didn't even, there's a league, there's a league for this kind of thing. How does that even work?
3: Yeah, so Major League Hacking um, it, it allows it allows students to organize hackathons in a way that are actually um, affiliated with a certain group, and it regulates the hackathons that go on. So hackathons go on every weekend all over the world. You know, like uh, there, there's a world hack. There's a world hack in uh, in Seoul, South Korea. Um, you know, there's hackathons all over the states, all over Canada, everywhere, and it's cool because. It means that you have these opportunities not only to do hackathons in your area, but also to go travel. Like my first hackathon myself, I went down to Duke University, um, and it was a great opportunity. And they typically pay for your travel to go down there. So you not only get the opportunity to visit this place, but you get it in a way that, for a student, is uh, is efficient, right, and financially capable, financially effective. Whatever.
1: This is a contest, though, right? I mean, it is a competition? Yeah, Okay, so uh, for me, if, if I go there and I'm building something with a group of people, does my app, does what I do, does it have to be fully functional and operational by the end of the competition, or could I present a great idea and show you how it might work, Is that, or does it have to be done?
4: So for to actually win, or at least win the hearts of the people who are judging your application, we definitely suggest you to actually at least have the idea to actually work. So okay. we don't want students to be pitching us because we aren't a pitching contest. It's a hacking contest. It's
1: not Dragon's Den.
4: How well people yeah. can actually work on the projects and make at least the concept work. So if you pitch us an idea, it's great. But like, we want to see your like, uh, skills involved and be, at, be able to actually piece together all of the stuff that we're providing to you. Just, and, like, we judge it based on how polished it is and how well does it solve the problem and what its impact is. So from these criterias is how the judges will judge your project and how successful it, it will be in the after the competition.
1: By the way, uh, just so not everyone is thinking that they were drinking something, uh, we introduced Graham at the start, but there's a second voice on the radio. Who are we also talking to?
4: Uh, this is uh, Ty. I am the president of the... Uh, the student community phase one on campus, we are actually the st- student group that's actually running uh, Delta Hacks.
1: All right. I di- I, that's fine. I just It was all of a sudden I heard two voices and I went, unless Graham can actually <laughs> talk out of both sides of his mouth at the same time or something, we're talking to two people. All right. Tell me some – so we, we've got the concept of this. We've got 500 people from all over the place, a lot of Mac students, I guess, but a lot of others who will be showing up. And you've done this, this is the third year. So you, you mentioned one, Graham, of uh, something you had come up with the first time. What are some of the other ones that Mac, at at Mac, that they've come up with? Some examples of things where at the end of it you say, you know what, here's a really cool idea that someone at our hackathon came up with that actually makes things better for somebody.
3: Yeah. Um, right off the top of my head, one that I can think of immediately was uh, two years ago, uh, or sorry. Yeah, two years ago at the first Delta Hacks, the one that won was uh, Project Julius, um, and that was a seizure prevention software, so all it did um, was scan your computer screen to look for images that may cause epileptic seizures, and before it could be on the screen long enough to actually uh, trigger anything, it would close your web browser. And Hmm. that's all it did, it would just... close the web browser, give you a pop-up saying, you know, there was a security risk or a safety risk. Uh, That's why it was minimized.
1: The amazing thing to me about this and some of the ones you've just been describing is, again, uh, not to keep beating on a dead horse, but there is no chance in the world that I could ever do the technological part of the stuff that you're doing. I could never do the coding. I could never build the app. However, a huge part of what you're talking about is not doing that. It is real. identifying a problem and then coming up with a really creative way to try to solve the problem. The other stuff is is the secondary part but there's an awful lot of creativity going on here.
3: Yeah, honestly the, um, the, if you look at the hack last year, uh, I, I talked a little bit about it the x-ray um, the x-ray machine uh, where, where they're looking at x-rays and bone deterioration. first of all, um, one of their group members didn't know how to program at all. He was a uh, physio student, and he actually was able to help identify the real problem and identify what they needed to do to create their project. And so what we like to see at hackathons is collaboration. So even if you're not necessarily the person that is doing the coding, you are totally right in that, you can be the person that is really identifying the idea and really making sure that when you're getting down to the core of it, whatever you are eventually going to create is going to be something that is useful.
1: So who are so who are the people generally? Because you said there was someone who was a physio student, but by and large, who are the people who are showing up for this? What would they be studying? What, what area of university would most of your attendees be in?
3: So most of our attendees typically are in um, computer science, software engineering, electrical engineering, uh, a lot of business students, we have a lot of health science students. Um, but we've noticed over the years, as we go through more and more years, um, we notice a change, a sort of a shift in more diversity in people. So we've had more health science students come in over the years. Uh, you know, the first year was a lot of it was just computer science and software engineering students, but we've had, you know, these other students come in. And we really like to see that because, If you don't have that collaboration, that cross-curriculum collaboration, um, it really makes it hard to create new and innovative solutions
1: because you're only in your own bubble. Is there money in this? I mean, I don't think – you guys don't give out cash prizes, but ultimately – I don't think – but ultimately, is there – if you come up with a great app, is the idea that these will be sold to some company or, or, or is it just for the experience and just for the idea of doing it?
4: No, the, all of the things that you create are owned by you. We don't steal your ideas or anything no, like that. No, sure, but you,
1: I'm wondering, do many of the people who do these try and turn around and sell them to someone else?
4: Well, yeah, actually, I would say yes. Lots of them actually will if it's really successful and from like coming out of the hackathon and it's like seen by all of these industry professionals who tell them that this application or this device is going to be successful in the market. Uh, we have... A lot of partnership with the local startup community, uh, the Forge, and they will help you get um, get to the next step. So they will help you become a startup and go from there. And lots of students do. Uh, we had one student actually last year who actually came out, who came out from the hackathon and started his own company from the hack solely just after Delta Hack. Hmm. So I, I want I want to say like it's totally possible. Lots of students do get to the stages where the hack is so well done that it could totally become a startup.
1: Last thing cuz we got to run here. Uh is there any this may be a weird question, but is there anything to see? If somebody just said, "Hey, I want to go back. I want to go by and see this." Like is there a, a presentation at the end on Sunday if people were just interested in what people came up with? Is there a demonstration? Is there something that you could go and you could say, "Oh, that's kind of cool." Or is it really very much inside that you would have to know exactly all the coding and everything to get it?
3: Yeah, uh, closing ceremonies are happening on Sunday and basically all the projects will be presented and the top 10 projects will actually be at the closing ceremonies for uh, the whole audience to see. Anyone can come by, you know, there's sponsors, we got snacks there.
1: Where uh, is it? Where could they come? Where could they come on Sunday and what time?
3: McMaster University, ETB building, at, uh, it is at 2 o'clock.
1: 2pm. All right. Ty, Graham, uh, listen, it's it's fantastic. It's completely beyond my, over my head, but it's fascinating and it's, it's, it's great that you guys are doing this. We really appreciate the time today. Thanks.
3: I appreciate you reaching out. This is phenomenal. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for reaching out to us. Good, good luck
1: really this week. Yeah, no, good luck this weekend. I hope someone comes up and when they come up, by the way, guys, when someone this weekend comes up with the greatest thing in the history of apps, you got to send them my way so they'll be on here.
3: No problem.
1: Talk to you guys again soon. That is Graham and Ty from Delta Hacks, which again is not some military secret operation system. And it's not about hacking your computer like WikiLeaks or something else does. It's about building technology and programs that could make things better for some people. It's a really, really cool idea. Again, if you're interested, Sunday night or Sunday afternoon, 2 p.m. at McMaster, you can go when they do all the presentations after they've been working on these things for 48 hours and see what they've come up with. I understand from the website that it's free to go. So if you're interested, be an interesting Sunday afternoon. The Scott Radley Show, weekdays from 7 to 9 on AM
2: 900, AM 900 CHML.